We live in an increasingly personality-driven culture. Uh, you might not have heard that word before, but really that's what we live in. It's a personality-driven culture. From Hollywood to Washington, D.C., and unfortunately from Silicon Valley to the church, uh, personalities oftentimes drive the agenda, drive the tone, drive how things get done, drive what we're about. Uh, we love personalities, and one of the ways we got to this place, this is not a new thing, but it's kind of been kicked into a hyperdrive ever since social media became kind of baked into the fabric of our culture. Because what social media does is it, it kind of puts on hyperdrive particular types of personalities, oftentimes the most destructive types of personalities among us, get the front and center, get the most elevation, the most, the most uh, space to have other voices talking about them, the most destructive personalities oftentimes get the front, and then they get the most praise and at the same time the most hate. But then what happens over time is that these personalities, we all kind of find ourselves aligning with these different public personalities. This happens even in the church, but it's a, it's a global phenomenon because of social media. We find our favorite heroes, the people that align the most with the things we want to be said. And then we put them in a pedestal and then we all kind of categorize ourselves. This is someone that represents me. This is someone that represents me. This is someone that represents me. And then everyone has their heroes. And what happens is when we bring this into the church, we drag this into the church with us, this mentality, this social media mindset, we end up creating idols out of people. And it's unbelievably dangerous to the health of a church. And it's unbelievably dangerous to the health of the kingdom of God, what he's doing through the church here on this earth. It's not that we shouldn't have leaders among us. It's not that God has not raised up some wonderful people for us to listen to. But there comes a moment where we need to do a little self-reflection and recognize that the person that we're following, we're oftentimes following more because of their personality and less because of who they're pointing us to. Today I'm preaching a sermon that's a little personal for me. Actually, this whole week it's been kind of this awkward one because 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, Paul's talking about leaders in the church. He's talking about the pastors of the church. Now, I'm actually going to broaden this for us today. Uh, anyone who has a ministry leadership role um, in any kind of way. And what I mean by that is in this room right now, at this church, we have eight to ten deacons. So if you're a deacon, this is talking to you. If you're an elder in this church or aspiring to be an elder, this is talking to you. If you're a small group leader, it's talking to you. If you have spiritual influence over anybody, your children perhaps even, just people that you're engaged with, as it turns out, this message is not only for the pastor in the room, although I think it has some things to tell me and some things to tell the church about your expectations of me. And I wanna make sure I don't gloss over that because that is kind of the direct application. But it also has something to tell everyone in this room about how you lead, what your expectations are, and how we avoid idolatry in ministry. Go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Remember 1 Corinthians, a series where we're going verse by verse through this letter that's written from the Apostle Paul to the church in a city called Corinth. And in chapter one, he brought up this, this little bit that he's beginning to unpack now in chapters three and four. And the little bit he brought up was in 111 through 13. It reads this way. For it's been reported to me, says Paul, by Chloe's people, so apparently Chloe sent a letter to Paul, 
that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. That's the personality I like. Or I follow Apollos. No, that's the personality I like. Or I follow Cephas. That's the apostle Peter. That's the personality I like. Or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So he exposes this problem that's taking place in Corinth that Chloe was like, look, there's division among us. Paul, can you write to us and tell us what we're supposed to do about this division? And we talked about all the division. If you remember that sermon, I got, I got pretty honest with us about the kind of division. And let me be honest with you again. We just came through two years of everything you could possibly be divided about. And what I learned about leadership, I learned more about leadership in the last two years than any other part of my life. Here's what I learned. When it comes to divisive issues, when you put your foot down and make a decision, no matter what the decision is, even if your decision is not to make a decision, even if that's it, one-third of the people will be angry at you. One-third will praise you like you're a god. And one-third will walk away and never talk to you again. And that's exactly what we've seen. Now, I'm not poking fingers at anybody in this room. That is not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is, is that there's not a church on the planet that didn't come through the last two years and say that's what we've experienced. About a third of the people left because they didn't like the decisions that were getting made. A third of the people stayed but were kind of unhappy about stuff. And a third of the people started treating the pastor like they were God, okay? And I think because of that, these two chapters, if we allow them, can maybe like dig into some major idolatry that we need to unpack to get really healthy coming out of a very divisive season. I think Paul's writing to us. As much as he was writing to Corinth in the first century, I think it so directly applies to the wildly divided culture and church that we're in that we really have to pay attention today. So I got kind of three sections for this. Paul is dealing with division. We're gonna look at it in three ways. Number one, the cause of the division. Number one, the cause of the division. Number two, the danger of the division. And then number three, the remedy for the division. And then this is just the start. We, next week, we're gonna come back in chapter four and go even deeper into this. So the cause of the division. Cause of the division. Verses one to nine. Let me read this to you. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Ooh, that's not a thing you want Paul to have to say to you. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready for it, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? For when one says, I follow Paul, and when another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being, mere, being merely human? Notice how he's picking up where he left off in chapter one. I read that to you. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? We're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but here it is. God gave the growth. Now listen carefully. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. <laughs> Let me say it again. He who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Okay, let's talk about the cause of the division, the cause of the division. He begins with these very cutting words to the church in Corinth. 
And the cutting words are, I had to treat you like infants because of the way you're divided. There's quarreling among you. And because of that, I, I couldn't get to the real theology. I couldn't get to the meat of what I want to deal with. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't preach through Hebrews with you, right? There's, I picked Hebrews just because there's some deep theology in Hebrews. It just makes your brain scratch trying to think about it. But he says, I couldn't get to that. Why? Because I had to deal with infantile issues with you. That's what he's saying. I'm stuck dealing with the infancy of a church who can't get over jealousy and making idols of people in the church. You're, you're forming cliques and groups, and this group talks to this group, and this group talks to this group, and they like this guy, and they like this guy, and they prefer it this way, and they prefer it this way. That's infantile within the church, he says. He goes, and he says, even now, even right now, I can't, I can't get to the real meat of what I want to teach you in Christ because we're still stuck in these cliques. It's a little bit like treating your pastors and your leaders like a mock sports draft. You know, if you do sports drafts, you know, you, you got each player, their quickness, their agility, their, their speed, and you kind of treat your ministry leaders that way. Okay, the way they preach, the way they write, what they say, their tone, and then you trade them like baseball cards, he's saying. He goes, that's what you're doing. You're ranking Apollos versus me versus Peter, and you're treat us, treating us like running backs who can be traded between sports teams. If I can just pause there, there's a very ugly underbelly to modern Christianity that's, that's actually, that illustration is way too um, spot on for my liking. And the underbelly of that, if you're not familiar with the underbelly of Christianity and just kind of the way Christian idolatry works, <clears throat> what happens is, is that the way pastors get ranked in this weird sports betting world of pastors today, and I, I, I'm being a little edgy on this because God's really done a work all week on me on this one. So permit me to kind of go there with you. What pastors get celebrated the most? The ones who have the most Twitter followers? The ones who speak at the most conferences? Or the ones who say the most volatile things that get the most responses on Facebook? Right? There's this weird measurement that gets taken place. And all that is, is it's it's playing 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9 out in real time. It's the same thing with technology behind it. That's it. Same exact thing. And Paul says, that's infantile. I saw one of the best tweets recently from a friend of mine. He, he, and he is active on Twitter all the time. And he says, I just realized that Twitter is the closest thing to hell we'll get this side of earth, this side of, this side of death. He said, it's every single person fighting for the idea of worship me, worship me, worship me. And I read the tweet and I said, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. It's very hard to utilize social media for anything other than worship me. Paul says, who, who are these ministry leaders? And he's talking to himself as he's writing this, Apollos. He says, look, me and Apollos, we're nothing. <laughs> We're, don't put us on that pedestal, he says. Paul, the tone he takes in, there, in here is almost like, I don't want that responsibility. That's Paul right now. He's saying, don't, don't put that on me. Because Paul's saying, I'm not going to live up to that. And, and he says, look, we're not anything. 
He says, I, I planted. What did he mean by that? He says, I planted the church. So I came here, there was no church, and by God's grace, God used me to get this thing going, and then he sent me off to the next place. He had to run over to Ephesus to get a church planted over there. And then he left it in the hands of a very capable pastor, Pastor Apollos. He says, then Apollos watered. I planted, Apollos watered. Apollos has been your pastor for 10 years now, and he's been with you day in, day out, just watering the seeds. But you think me or Apollos are what's causing growth among you? <laughs> That you misunderstand how this economy in God's kingdom works. It has nothing to do with Paul. It has nothing to do with Apollos. They're, what are we? We're just servants, just like every other person in the church, servants in the hands of the living God. And, and, and because of that, it's not Paul or Apollos that gets any credit. It's God. It's always what God's doing. He's the one who brings the growth. So a healthy servant of the Lord is one who, at the end of the day, holds their hands open like this and says, God, whether, whether this church experiences growth or if it dries up in some way, this is yours to begin with. I'm here, Lord, just simply to serve you. And, and then what a, what a healthy leader in any sphere, however much leadership the Lord gives you in, in, in kind of the church world, whether it's a small group leader or a deacon, whatever role you're playing is, is to say, Lord, here's my role. Like John the Baptist, less of me and more of you. That's it. Let, let me more and more fade into the background because the more that happens, the more everyone just kind of sees this was never about that person. This is about Jesus and what he's doing. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. It's not the work that any spiritual leader does that's important. Each has his reward. This is interesting, verse nine. He says, it's not that the work is not important. There are literal rewards at play here, okay? So, so when we die, our work in the kingdom will be rewarded in varying degrees based on what we did and didn't do. Paul has his reward in heaven. Apollos has his reward in heaven. Each of you in the varying roles that you play as God has assigned you and as you live faithfully to that, you will receive rewards in heaven. Not your salvation, that's secure, not by what you do, but with what Christ has done for you on the cross. Completely solidified by one thing alone, Jesus on the cross. And yet there's rewards. We'll dig further into this in a little bit in the text. Now, I wanna make this really uncomfortable for a moment. <clears throat> there is a very personal pastor application here. And so I try not to preach on myself that often because I think that's unhealthy for a church to get too much insight into the pastor's life. Um, however, with this text, I kinda have to. I think I can do this because I actually think we're a very healthy church. Despite the fact that I picked on us a little bit and I said this can, this can bleed into the church and we've come through a season, I actually think we're more healthy than we've ever been right now as a church. I think God's done a lot of pruning in this community. I think he's done a lot of work kind of bringing us into a place where there's a lot of same page things happening. But frankly, this is really uncomfortable uh, because there's kind of two things at play going on and this is from my limited perspective. Number one the culture Paul was writing into is different than our culture. Paul's writing into a church in Corinth that had one church in it. There was, there was one church. That's it. They planted the church, and maybe it met in a few people's home, but they all knew each other, right? They all, they all connected as kind of one body in Corinth. He was writing this to the, to the church in Corinth. Well, Chicago's got over 1,000 churches. And that dynamic creates a church shopping mentality. It's very strange, and it's, un, it's foreign to the first century. Now, I want to make something very clear. There's a lot of bad churches in Chicago, a lot, that have terrible theology. They've abandoned the literal interpretation of Scripture. 
They've got all sorts of weird things they're doing that are way over the line. They've got leadership that is more about collecting money than they are about anything else. And they've lost the true gospel. And I'll be the first to sit down with you and tell you what churches in the area to avoid because of those reasons. I have no problem bringing division when it comes to the authenticity and the reality of the gospel. Not a problem at all. I will call a false teacher a false teacher with clarity, no problem with that. However, I wanna recognize something. When you bring in church shopping, and what I mean by that is there's something about just you move to a new city. You gotta find what church you're gonna fit into. That's not a wrong process by any means. Some of you are in that process right now. But what can happen is what you're looking at is the guy who's, you're looking at me. And your evaluation of, is this a church I wanna be at is, does he strike the tone and the personality that I really dig in Christianity? That's what you're looking for. And I wanna tell you right now, that's just about the most unhealthy thing that could ever happen to a church. And I think it's happened a little bit. There's a second reason for that. The second reason is this. There's a lot of controversial topics out there in the world. We're just living in a controversial, divided world beyond church stuff, politics, race. You, know, you just talk about all the stuff that's out there. Look, this is a very intimate gathering right now, so I can kind of get real with you for a second, what God's doing in my heart. And the way I am, the way I'm wired, Pastor Rafe, I don't play nice guy very well. <laughs> I take positions on things. And I think every faithful pastor should do that to, to the degree that God's wired them that way. I, I don't think any pastor should be soft on the issues. I think that's the job of a pastor. Historically, that's what we do. Every pastor should do that. I also just know if you lined up 15 pastors, I, I, I tend to lean towards taking a biblical side, making my case for it, and being clear with it. I'm just, that's just how I am. Some of you feed off of that in a little bit of an unhealthy way. And it's actually made me question some of the ways that I go about this. And I don't quite know how to correct that as a pastor. I'm bringing you into an internal dialogue I'm having with God. I don't quite know how to correct it. Because on the one hand, I think pastors do need to lead the charge culturally so that the whole church can follow along and say yes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. I'm not backing down. But what can happen when a pastor leads the charge is that suddenly the pastor becomes an idol and a personality that you're following and we fall into the infantile mistakes of 1 Corinthians 3. And so a culture of church shopping and a culture of division where the pastor does lead the way in, in some healthy ways can end up causing a personality-driven church. And I'm a little worried about that. And so today, uh, my, this first point I'm making, and I've gone way too long in this already, but it's the cause of the division, the cause of the division. And the cause of the division is personality-driven ministry. And so now what I'm doing is I'm saying, to whatever degree it is there, I, I, again, I, I think we're very healthy. I think God's doing some, I think we're as healthy as we've ever been. But as I'm thinking about this in this church, I think there's something here that's worthy of us to go home and reflect on and figure out how we can get better at this. Now, number two, what's the danger of this? The danger of it, what I mean by that is, what's the danger if we just ignore everything I just said and play business as usual from this moment on as if the sermon never happened? What's the danger of it? The danger is that we fail to realize that every member of God's church are co-laborers who are building together. 
The danger is it becomes a one-person ministry and not an every-member ministry. So let's pick up verses 10 to 17. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. That's the work Paul did. And someone else is building upon it. That's what Apollos did. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Back to this reward language. If anyone's work is burned up, listen to this language, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That language basically is, he'll basically escape through the flames. Do you not know that you are God's temple? No, I'm sorry. No, yeah. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Okay, the danger, here's the danger. The danger, if we let, if we let personality-driven culture into the church, the danger is that we think it's a one-person ministry and everyone else follows as opposed to an every-member ministry. That's what Paul just said. So, he begins, according to the grace that God gave me, that was verse 10, to the grace God gave me. Don't miss the little language here. According to the grace God gave me, Paul's speaking as an apostle, who was given the amazing responsibility of getting to plant churches in the first century all through the Mediterranean. And he says, it's not because I brought any skills to this thing. It's because of sheer grace in my life. That's it. Right? Every follower of Christ has that same story. You want to be a small group leader? You want to be a deacon? You want to aspire to be an elder in this church? You want to be a parent that faithfully parents your children? Whatever your ministry role According to the grace given to me, you, you did not muster, I did not muster the ability to do anything God would have us do. It's simply a reception of what God has mercifully doled out by his degree, to his degrees, each one of us, and with his specific callings on each of our lives, life. Paul planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. When it comes to this church, Kenson planted, right? He planted the church. Rafe watered. That's what I've been doing for the last nine years, just like Apollos, and God gives the growth. And we can say that for all of our different ministries. Many of you have started ministries in this church. Others have been watering it. The foundation is Christ, verse 11. It says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, each of us are building the ministries God's assigned to us on one foundation. It's on Jesus Christ alone. And what he says is, is if you're trying to build on any other foundation, it's, it, it's gonna just burn up in the fire one day. There's one foundation, it's Jesus Christ. So, if we go all the way to an extreme, if you are a false teacher, and you are building on the foundation of, I'm trying to build a name for myself, that thing is gonna fall apart real quickly in this life, and if it doesn't, it's gonna burn up real bad in the next life. So, I want you to understand something. There's something in this passage that says, uh, if you are in this to make a name for yourself, get out now. And uh, that's, a, that's a, a danger call to everybody in this room, not just to the pastors. Ministry is about building on the foundation of Jesus Christ and building others into that space. Christ is the only foundation. He's not a tack on in our life. He's the foundation for us. Now, each person's work will be tested. Whatever ministry God's given you in this room, 
And every one of you have been assigned a ministry. This is not just some, I've, I've called out some roles, but every person's been given ministry, and it's all gonna be tested. Some of you are gonna find on your judgment day that you kinda have been building your life on the foundation, but you kinda been building with hay and straw. And what does that mean? It means that, you know, when God judges the work you've done, and he knows full well, and my guess is your conscience bears witness to it already, that frankly, when you look at the, the great portion of your life and where you've been investing your time, where you've been investing your talents God's given you, where you've been investing your treasure, that's your money, you look at it all and you say, you know, it didn't really go into the foundation of Jesus. It was more building my little kingdom. And he says this, he says, look, if your faith is in Jesus, you're gonna get saved. <laughs> Even though all the works you did are gonna get burned up because it meant nothing because you were building on the wrong foundation. The Lord's gonna spare you by God's grace because, he, because his mercy is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. You're gonna squeak through as one through the flames, he says. As one through the flames. And there are many who are gonna find at the end of the day that they spent their whole life saved because of the grace of Jesus Christ and yet building a lot of this stuff not on the foundation of Christ but just on their own desires to make a name for themselves. May that not be anyone in this room. Lord, may it not be me. There's one foundation. It's Christ. And what every one of us ought to aspire to in this life is, God, I, all I want to do with whatever degree, however much wood you gave me to build with, or however much brick you gave me to build with, here's what, I want to lay those bricks well. I just want to build on that foundation. I want to be shown at the end of my life, to whatever degree you permit me, to have built on the foundation well. Not built on the foundation so people can say, look at, the, look at the building he built. No, to just lay on the foundation so people can look at the foundation and say, look how strong that foundation is. May that be every person in this room. And, and the, there's a call to self-evaluate right now, which is God, how, am I building on this foundation? I don't wanna be one who squeaks through the flames. If you are a Christian in this room and you're backsliding right now, or you're a Christian in this room and you've never really made Jesus the foundation. You've kind of made him a part of your life, but not really the person you're truly living for. I just want to exhort you right now. You've been called to more. Your life is not, you're, you're not invited to squeak through the flames and have the entirety of your life's work burn up on the day of judgment. That's not what you were called to. God's invited you into more. He's invited you to build on the foundation and to give your whole life's work to building on that. That doesn't mean you gotta be a pastor. Whatever, whatever job you find yourself in, you're building on the foundation of Christ so that you gain a heavenly reward because there are rewards in heaven. Each one will receive their reward for the, the work you build here. And I don't know the details of that. I wanna be honest. I don't get how those rewards exactly work out. But I know the scriptures repeatedly in this passage as well show us that there's varying degrees of reward. Our salvation has nothing to do with it. That's because of Christ alone. But how we build in this life is rewarded. And then he finishes with this great line. He says, you are God's temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, this is the danger, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. In the Old Testament days, there was a, there was a physical temple and what did the temple do? The temple was the place where the glory of God dwelt on the planet. The one place where the nations could come in and see God in all of his beauty and all of his glory. You come and, and you come see the, the laws and the ethics and what he's up to and his power. And it was in the temple, a very physical place in Jerusalem. 
But in the New Testament, the temple has been destroyed physically, AD 70, it's done. God did away with it, so we would never be confused again. It has not been rebuilt. You can go see the ruins today if you want to. But there's a new temple. We're not waiting for another temple to be built. The temple, the new temple is built. You know what it is? It's the body of Christ. So when the nations want to see the power of God on display, when they want to come and say, show me this God, show me how powerful he is, show me what he's like, show me his laws, show me his goodness, show me how good he is, all they got to do is look at a healthy church. That's it. And it's even better than a physical temple because we're spread out into the nooks and crannies of the world. We're not just in Jerusalem. We're all over the world. We're the temple. And so here's the danger. When someone with a, a person with an ego-driven mind comes in and starts using the church to build himself up in any degree, in any space in here, it's like going into the temple in Jerusalem, standing outside and being, look at me. Ah, you guys came all over the world. Check out how good I am. And people saying, we traveled the world to see that guy? I thought we were going to encounter God. That's the danger. And Lord, help us if we make an idol of anybody. I'm going back to where we kind of started here. The danger here, and again, this is for anybody in ministry. It got, it's just been a personal week for me. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm putting this here. Don't make me an idol. The way this church knows if it's a healthy church is if I were to suddenly fade into the background, you get stronger. And if the reality is, is that if, if, you're, if you're looking right now at this church and you're saying if Rafe were to suddenly fade into the background and this church would not be as strong as it was, there's a problem. There's a problem. And we together have to fight for that. This is an every member ministry. We've got to lift up every member to know what are your gifts? How do we elevate them? How do we use them in the church? If you don't know your gifts, talk to leadership. Find them out. Pour them into the church. Every member is needed so that who we're pointing to at the end of the day is not one person but is God in all of his glory so that the world looks in and doesn't see a man but sees God and says God dwells in that place. Number three, what's the remedy for a church that's gone astray? Verses 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that we may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. <laughs> he's gonna get you. If, you're, if you wanna build your own name, he's gonna get you in the end. You're not gonna beat God. He's bigger than you. You're not gonna outsmart him. That's what that verse says. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. What's the application of this text? Let no one boast in men. I think as we close this, here's the remedy. The remedy is this. We need to understand what the church is and what our foundation is. And the foundation is Jesus and we need to constantly, as a people of God, be coming back to Christ and be asking this, is Christ our foundation right now? Are we really building on him? Or are we just playing church and following the next personality that comes along? I can do this. I've got the guys that I love to follow, and I can idolize them at times. I, there's a handful of guys out there that I think are, are amazing at what they do. And I look at them, and sometimes I look at them and I think, you know, I've done it. I've done the very thing I'm asking our church not to do. 
I can do this. And constantly we need to be asking ourselves, have I built this on Jesus? Is it all about Christ? Is he the foundation? When anybody looks at any ministry in this church, whatever it is, are they seeing Christ is alive and well? Is it pointing to him or is it pointing to a group of people that are managed to build a ministry? And so we need to constantly evaluate ourselves and then constantly call each other to something more, pointing others towards Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Don't miss that last word there. All things are yours. You have been invited to participate in the building of the greatest thing God's ever done in human history, his church. It's gold. This is what you were made for. All things are yours. Don't ruin it by making personality-driven culture the centerpiece of the church. That's what Paul says. You've been called to something more, and he's doing something wonderful in this place, and we gotta get after that work together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we reflect on uh, these words, this text, I confess I have perhaps the most reflection to do of everybody in this room. But God, I ask that you do a great work here. I ask that you would drive this church to perhaps the greatest health we've ever had as a community. Anywhere where there has been just a dragging into this place of the idolatry of the world, whether it has to do with any one leader here, any one personality, or even if it's someone outside of this church, a group of people that, you know, they're just kind of folks who you've risen up as leaders, people like Apollos and, and, and Paul, and, and we've idolized them. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would root out our infantilism, as Paul described it, so that we could get after the deeper meat of following Jesus. Anywhere we gotta grow or turn or pivot, Lord, help us. And then, God, would you strengthen us for the years ahead. God, so that you would do a wonderful work because this is your temple, your people, putting the glory of God on display, all for the glory of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.